It's good all the time for us to really put the focus on the Savior when we preach. We're not the focus of Christianity. Christ Jesus Himself is the focus of Christianity. And the more we learn of Christ, the more we will learn of ourselves. Because in Christ, we see everything we need, not only in this world, but we see everything we need also in the next world. To study Christ is to study God. And to study God is to inevitably see yourself in the way that God wants you to see yourself. The first saying of the cross in this series was, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And in that statement, we saw the great mercy of our God. The second statement was, Today you shall be with me in paradise. And in that, we saw the great salvation of our God. The third one was, Woman, behold your son. And in that sermon, we saw that God cares for us as individuals. There's a personal touch from the cross. Last week, uh, Bryce spoke to us from that statement, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And in that statement, we saw the depths that God went to in order for you and I to be saved. And the fifth statement, the one we look at this morning, is a very simple one. It's the shortest of all the statements that Jesus made from the cross. It's a very simple statement, but it's also a very profound statement. I thirst. Now Christ has already spoken to the Father. Why have you forsaken me? He's spoken to the thief. Today you will be with me in paradise. He spoke to Mary and John. And now He speaks to the crowd. Now He speaks to the whosoevers. He says, I thirst. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. And I want us to see three things from this fifth word from the cross. And the first thing I want you to see is... These words, I thirst, show that His humanity was affected. Now Jesus was genuinely thirsty. Christ was human. There was an early heresy called docetism that denied the humanity of Jesus. The thinking of that philosophy was, well, everything physical is evil. Therefore, there's no way that God became man, because if God became man, He would be physical, and to be physical is to be evil. Uh, That's not what Scripture teaches at all. The Bible is clear that indeed the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Christ is fully God, the Scripture teaches, but Christ is also fully man. Theologians call this a big word. They call it the hypostatic union. In Christ you have the divine and the human nature coming together into one. And as a human being, Jesus experienced... What you and I experience as a human being. In taking on the human nature, Jesus is now able to suffer. And if Christ had not taken on human nature, He would not be able to suffer. You know, what if I told you this? What if I told you that that you could become something that would keep you from ever getting tired, ever getting weak, ever getting hungry, ever getting thirsty, ever feeling pain, Or ever die. You say, well, sign me up. Amen? I would love to have that. But I want you to think about this for a moment. Christ did the opposite of that. Christ could not feel pain. But He became a human so that He could feel pain for over 30 years. He could not get tired. 
But He became a human so that He could weary Himself for us. He could not get hungry, but He became a human so He could hunger for us. He couldn't die, but He became a human so He could die for us. He couldn't get thirsty, but He became a human so that He could get thirsty for us. And so when we think about that, we think about how far down Christ stepped to come and bring the salvation that you and I so desperately needed. Now, this is no small detail here. I thirst. Because it really reveals to us the mystery of godliness. The Bible says God was manifest in the flesh. You know, we can understand God coming to man. But it's very difficult for us to think of God becoming a man. Because coming to man is what He did in the garden with Adam and Eve. He walked with them in the cool of the day. Becoming a man is what we see in Bethlehem. Taking on human nature. Now Christ had already endured a lot at this point. This wasn't the first time, by the way, Jesus thirsted. You remember the story of the woman in the well at John chapter 4? He walked through the streets ministering daily, you know. The the sun was beating down upon His head. He got thirsty. So while it wasn't the first time that Jesus thirsted, it was clearly the worst time that Jesus thirsted here. Because He had probably not had anything to drink at all since the upper room situation. Remember where He celebrated the Passover with His disciples? And then after that, that's when all of this suffering starts. The walk to Gethsemane, where he prays there and sweats like great drops of blood. The arrest, the seven trials that he went through, drugged back and forth to physical abuse and torture, taking uh, the cross beam upon his own shoulders and walking with it for a while, nails put through his hands and his feet, hanging in the bright sun for three hours and for another three hours in the dark. And so you think about all that Jesus has went through before He makes this statement, I thirst. You see, this is the cry of a dying man. This is the cry of a dying man, I thirst. I remember some years ago when Abigail did a, um, had to do a school project, and I think it was maybe one of those famous American projects or something, and she did it on a lady by the name of Molly Pitcher. And I thought it was really interesting learning about Molly Pitcher. Molly Pitcher was this woman who aided soldiers during the Revolutionary War. And when soldiers were on the battlefield, obviously they got thirsty. And they would have individuals who would come and would bring them something to drink as they were fighting and holding off an enemy. This is why they called her Molly Pitcher. It was a nickname. The pitcher was the pitcher of water that they would bring to these soldiers who were so thirsty. And so I want you to think in your mind for a minute how war makes a person thirsty. And picture in your mind, if you will, a battlefield with soldiers lying, wounded, and crying out, Water! 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 Well, this is what we have of Christ. He's on the battlefield for our souls. He's wounded and He's dying. And here He is crying out, Water! Water! Water. He says, I thirst. Now Christ had options concerning His thirst. He first of all could have taken what was initially offered to Him. 
If you remember in the story, a drink was offered to him on the way to the cross. Mark chapter 15 verse 23 says that just before he was crucified, he was offered a drink of wine that was mixed with myrrh. They would give this to to people who were going to be crucified because it would act as um, a a painkiller. And it would make it easier for them to nail these men to the cross. But when Jesus was offered this drink that would numb his senses, he refused that drink. Why did he refuse that drink? He refused it because he was going to bear every ounce of pain that you and I should have endured. It would be like you going to the dentist and saying to the dentist, Hey, just pull the tooth. Don't worry about numbing the gum at all. It would be like you, uh, you're about to give birth, and you say, honey, uh, tell the doctors and the nurses, I don't need an epidural. It would be like you going with, with a gash on your arm that's open, and you need stitches, and you look at them, and you say to them, hey, don't worry about the painkiller, just stitch it up, doc. You and I would never do that. We don't want to experience the pain. But you see, Christ here, he, he had been offered a drink, but it was a drink that would have numbed his senses. Kind of put him in a stupor. And he said no to that. So he could have done that. The second thing he could have done was this. He could have, he could have given himself a drink. Jesus didn't need anybody to give him a drink, y'all. He's Jesus. If he wants a drink, he can get it. He can calm a storm. And if he can calm a storm, then certainly he could start a storm. He could say to the heavens, rain down right now, and it would have began flooding rain. And all he would have had to do is tilt back his head and got all the drink that he wanted. Not only can he make water fall from the heavens, he can make water gush up from the earth. Ask Noah. Noah saw the heavens opened and the earth opened and water coming from all directions. And if Christ wanted to quench his thirst in that way, friends, he could have done it very easily. He could have given himself a drink. But Christ here says, I thirst, first and foremost, because his humanity was affected. He was genuinely thirsty because of all that he had been through. The second thing I want you to see here is that that Jesus was experiencing hell's aftermath. I want you to notice when Christ says, I thirst. After the statement is made, it says, after this, verse 28. He didn't say, I thirst after the crown of thorns. He didn't say, I thirst after the cat of nine tails. He didn't say, I thirst after the slaps. He didn't say it after the punches, after the piercings, after the insults. He says it after darkness has covered the land for three hours and he shouted out those words that Brasso greatly preached last week. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? After that statement, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He says, I thirst. The next thing he says is is going to be, it is finished. You see, Christ had another cup to drink that had made him this thirsty. And the cup that he drank was the cup that he mentioned in Gethsemane. Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Remember that? But this cup was filled with what? This cup was filled with the wrath of God. This cup was filled with the punishment for the sins of the world. And Christ took that cup and He drank it down to the dregs. 
He consumed the whole thing, everything in it. He drank the whole cup. And, and, and this was the wrath of God being poured out upon him. And it was this cup. It was this cup that causes him here to shout out, I thirst. It was the cup of suffering. So consider when Christ says, I thirst, right after, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now let's consider why Christ says, I thirst. Why does He say, I thirst here? Well, first I would say to fulfill Scripture. About 700 years before this ever happened, the Scripture prophesied in Psalm 22 that the Messiah would thirst. Listen to these words from Psalm 22. I am poured out like water. All of my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaves to my jaws. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death. Do you see the wording there? A piece of pottery. What is a piece of pottery? Something that all the moisture has been removed from. What is dust? Dust is dry. What you see here is, is a dehydrated Savior. Mouth like cotton. He's as dry as dust, church. And this was prophesied 700 years before it ever came to pass. He was severely dehydrated. By the way, dehydration was the second most common way crucified people died. The first way, the most common way that people died when they were crucified was asphyxiation. They could no longer breathe because to breathe you had to pull yourself up with your arms and eventually you got so tired you could no longer do that. And so you died by asphyxiation. But the second most common way was dehydration. And so we see here a dehydrated Jesus. But think of all the body fluid, by the way, that Christ has lost. He'd been sweating profusely in the garden, losing water there. He had lost a lot of blood, losing water there. He had been baking in the sun for hours, losing water there. So here we have Christ severely dehydrated. And, and He's going to have to say a couple of more things on this cross. And I think personally that at this point Christ could barely speak. Matthew 27 verse 50 says that Jesus says His last words from the cross with a loud voice. When He said, it is finished, He didn't whisper it, church. When He said, it is finished, He roared it. He said, it is finished. And in order to say what He needed to say, and in the way that He needed to say it, He needed a drink. He needed a drink. Now consider what these words represent. Thirst describes the pain of hell. Thirst describes the pain of hell. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 16, it tells the story of two men that died. One went to be with the Lord. The other went to hell. The Bible says that in hell, that man lifted up his voice and said, Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. So what did that man say? Essentially, that man in hell said, I thirst. 
I'm thirsty. He's parched. Parched by the very judgment of God. And if you or me had been in hell for just a moment, we'd say the same thing. We'd say, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. And so here we have Christ, as I mentioned a moment ago, who has just endured the very wrath of God for hours, church. Beneath the very wrath of God, when He cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The the punishment for the sins of the world consumed His body. And after being in hell for those hours, the very natural response is a response that you hear in hell all the time. I thirst. I thirst. Thirst not only describes the, the... Situation that a person finds themselves in, in hell physically, but, but it also describes the moans of hell. In hell, church, there is an eternal I thirst ringing out. The moan from the cross here that Christ gives, I thirst, echoes the eternal moans of those who have died without Christ. The only song in hell is the chorus of I thirst. It's what every single person in hell from all of eternity has sung and will always sing. I thirst, I thirst, I thirst, I thirst, I thirst. Over and over and over, it's the chorus of the unredeemed. It's the chorus of those who rejected God and chose to live their own way and rejected the precious sacrifice that Jesus gave on the cross. This is the song of hell. I thirst. It's on the mind eternally of those who die without Christ. Thirst also describes the the, the place of hell. Hell is is a desert on fire. On the cross, Christ was confined beneath the scorching sun and water was out of reach. I want you to think about that. Here's the scorching sun and and here's Christ and and there's water way over there. He, He can't reach that water and here He is beneath the scorching sun. And that's a good symbolism of what hell is. When someone is cast into hell, it's the same as with Christ. They're confined. They cannot leave. But instead of being beneath the sun, they're beneath a lake of fire. And water is out of their reach. And so Christ saying, I thirst, is hell's aftermath. Three hours of hell have passed over Christ. He has endured the payment for our sins, church. He has gone to hell for us. He has borne in His body the punishment of the sins of the world. And after all of this is over, He cries out what anyone in hell would ever cry out, I thirst. That's powerful, church. Now I want us to think for just a moment about some human action here. 
Jesus is given a drink. He's given a drink. Now, now, now what, what was it? There was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. Well, the vinegar was a type of sour wine that the soldiers kept there for themselves. It was to keep them hydrated because crucifixion made for a big day. A hard day. They needed something to drink. Generally, it was diluted with water and didn't taste great. But it got the job done. Now, who gave it? Most likely, a soldier did. Probably a Roman soldier gave Jesus this drink. Matthew tells us that one of the soldiers said, truly, this is the Son of God after Jesus died. Maybe that was the one who did it. I I don't know. But we do know how it was given. The text does tell us how it was given. A sponge was wetted and then placed on a stick. And that stick was then lifted up to his lips. So it wasn't really much of a drink at all, was it? When you probably consider the word drink. It was a sponge that had been dipped in liquid and then reached up and pressed to his lips that that perhaps he sucked upon and drew some of that liquid out into his body. Now there's a beautiful thing in this. A beautiful thing, and it's this, that Jesus gives us the great privilege of serving Him. Jesus gives us the great privilege of serving Him. Notice that Christ asks His tormentors to serve Him. He says, I'm thirsty, implying, give me a drink. And this really shows a lot about Jesus, because you ever thought about how hard it is for you to ask for anything from someone who's wronged you? You know, once someone has wronged you, you've kind of written them off. Once someone has wronged you, it's very difficult to ever ask a favor of them, isn't it? But here we have Christ asking for His tormentors to give Him a favor. And this is the wonderful and forgiving love of our great God. We are His tormentors And it shouldn't surprise us if He never had anything to do with us again. If He never asked a single thing from us, we shouldn't be surprised. Yet Christ asks us, those who have sinned, to serve Him. And you say, I didn't nail Christ to the cross. Listen to me. Christ died for sinners. If you're a sinner, you're the reason He went to the cross. Amen? Maybe you didn't put the nails in His hand. Maybe you didn't didn't crown the thorns on His head. But it's your sin that took Christ to the cross. And what a great privilege it is to serve Him. You know, I don't know, but I hope this man who served Christ, this drink, I hope he got saved. And you know, there's a good chance he did. Because could you imagine being that person who gave Jesus a drink on the cross and standing before the Lord and hearing the Lord say these words, I was thirsty and you gave me a drink? Wouldn't that be a blessing? That would be a great blessing to know that you literally gave the Lord a drink when He was thirsty. Now the privilege to serve the thirsty Christ still exists. Not in the same way we see it in our text. 
But we can serve the thirsty Christ in that we know that Christ has desires. And that you and I can meet the desires that Christ has. Christ has allowed us to participate in meeting the desires that He has. And in that way, you and I can serve Christ. There are many ways to serve Christ. Didn't Jesus say, if you give a drink to the least of these, then you've given a drink to Me? So let's think for a moment this morning about what Christ thirsts for today. First of all, He thirsts after compassion in His followers. He wants to see a heart of mercy in His people. He wants us to love one another deeply. You know, as a pastor, I've said this before, but as a pastor, I've watched far more people die than I wanted to watch. But one thing that's especially precious to me is to watch someone take a sponge or a cloth and keep the lips wet of a person who's dying. You ever seen that? Sometimes that takes days, doesn't it? But after reading this story in the Bible and seeing how Christ was treated on the cross there, it really really gives me a different perspective of it. And now you and I have this great privilege of serving Christ. And that when a person who's perhaps ministering to someone who's on hospice and they're taking that sponge and they're, and they're wetting the lips of that dying person and they're doing it in the name of Christ, then they are serving Christ Himself. And wouldn't it be wonderful if it didn't take something like death for us to be so compassionate? Amen. That we would simply love one another. And show mercy and show grace to one another. This is a desire of the Lord. A desire that He has that we would love one another deeply. That we would love one another intimately. That we would serve one another with great grace and mercy in our hearts. In the same way that Christ has served salvation to you and I. Another thing that Christ thirsts after is He thirsts after your soul. His his desire is that you be saved. You can quench the thirst of Christ with your tears of repentance. Coming to Christ and saying, "I, I see my need, I see what you've done for me, and I abandon all my good works, and I come to you, Christ, asking for grace and asking for mercy. The Bible says that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but He finds great delight in the salvation of the wicked. I want you to think about this for a minute. The one who thirsts offers us a drink. The one who said, I thirst on that cross. He's really the one who offers the drink, isn't He? It's the drink of salvation. He says, come to these living waters. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Come to the fountain of Christ. He told the woman at the well, I will offer you living water. And it brings Jesus great joy for you to accept that drink. It gives delight to God when a sinner drinks from the fount of salvation. When a sinner comes and says, My need is met in you, Christ. It's a desire of the Lord. It's a thirst He has. Something else that Christ thirsts for in His church is a missional heart. 
He wants the church to be busy giving this living water to a lost world. You remember I mentioned just a minute ago the woman at the well, a great story in John chapter 4. And when he asked to drink from that woman, if you'll go back and you'll read that story, he, he told the woman he was thirsty and to give him a drink, and she never gives him a drink. She never gives him a drink because he has a conversation with her, and, and to just give you the short version, what happens is she sees her need for salvation, and she gets saved. And after she gets saved, she took off, remember that? And she went back and she told the whole town about Jesus. He said, she said, come see a man that told me everything that I did. And she took that crowd of people back out there to that well to see Jesus. And a lot of people got saved because this woman took a drink from Jesus. And the disciples, they were all worried in this situation. They said, Jesus, you haven't eaten. Oh, you need to get something to eat. And Jesus said, I have meat to eat that you know not of. My meat is to do the will of Him who sent me. And what Jesus was saying was, look guys, a whole bunch of people just got saved. And that's what satisfies me. That's what brings me joy. That's what quenches my desire. All of these Samaritans who just came to faith. That's what brings me joy and that's what quenches my desire. The salvation of this Samaritan woman. That's what quenched the hunger and the thirst of the Lord Jesus Christ. And my dear friends, that is a beautiful picture for you and I to remember. That one of the things that Christ thirsts for in His church is to see us involved in reaching out to a lost world who desperately needs to be saved. To take living water. To just this Molly picture that I mentioned earlier. You could see her during the Revolutionary War running from cannon to cannon as soldiers are, are filling their cannons and shooting them. And, and they're filled with, with, or covered in nothing but soot and dirt. And there they are thirsting. And here comes Molly Pitcher and she, she gives them a drink. Or, or that wounded one who's, who's going to die if he doesn't get some water. Here comes Molly Pitcher. Well, folks, listen, Christianity is filled with soldiers. We are in the army of the Lord. We are to fight a good fight. And in the battlefield of this world, there are people all over the place who have collapsed, who are dying, who are suffering, who are in need of Christ. And it's the church who's to run out to a lost world when we leave the walls of this church and to say to those who are dying, I've got a drink for you. I've got a drink for you. The drink of salvation that comes through the message of the cross of Christ. I've got a drink for you. Now, if they don't want to drink it, there's nothing you can do about that, is there? But I'm sure some will. Amen? I'm sure some will. You see, Jesus still thirsts. He thirsts to see His people live for His glory. Jesus thirsted for you, friend. Do you thirst for Him? I hope you do. If you've never given your life to Jesus, I pray that you'll see all He's done for you. Turn from your sins and call on His name for salvation. Or perhaps this morning, you say, Lord, I've given my life to You, but I know there's some other desires that You have that I'm not quenching. 
Help me meet those, Lord. With every head bowed, Father, we love You. We're so grateful for these words this morning from the cross. May we be reminded of them every day. May we thirst for You, Lord. I pray that You use this invitation for Your glory and Your honor. In Jesus' name, Amen.